0: Morning again. You guys are doing good. It's a good day. Yes, Amen. it is a good day. No matter what's going on in our lives or in the world, today is a good day. It's the day the Lord has made, and we can rejoice, and we choose to do that. Um, so, hopefully, you guys, I enjoyed worship. Worship was good. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, worship team. Um, it was good to be in the presence of God to sing about His goodness. Uh, to sing about his mercy, that word. We're going to dive in a little bit under that word this morning. Um, if you guys remember last Sunday, we were talking about a love story as Valentine's Day a week ago, and I got to kiss my wife on stage and make my kids <laughs> embarrassed, um, but that was fun to do. Uh, and so um, I have heard a lot growing up in this church. I've heard about uh, the Greek words for love, right? You guys have heard about agape, phileo, eros, all these different Greek words. Um, I've not done a full in-depth study even myself on all the different variations of Hebrew words. I am familiar with several, um, and as I was looking some up, I was like, oh, man, you can even take one word, and then it's used in lots of different, very different ways, um, but one we talked about already, um, and I, this morning, we're going to still our theme of compassion, and I'll give you the title of this morning's message a little bit later into the message, um, so if you're looking to do the title, um, hold on a little bit. Leave room for that in your notes, because you all are taking notes, right? I'm sure you all are, like my kids are taking notes, right? Um, no, I, I gave them a hard time. I've actually... I'll share this, probably TMI. There's been times where some of my kids, you see not all four of my kids are here, and if they misbehave, that's my new found, Um, discipline, is that they don't get to watch their favorite show or have screen time. They instead get to watch Dad preach, take notes, and then show me their notes to make sure they were watching me preach. So, wow, stinks to be a pastor's kid, right? Uh, Tough punishment. Um, So, anyway, so I got lots of notes going on in my house. Um, But we've been talking about compassion. That's our theme. That's our word for the year. Uh, We talked, if you remember right, uh, several weeks ago, we used, I talked about the Hebrew word used for compassion. We watched a little video. Um, It's Rakam. You guys remember the three Hebrew letters? I, you won't remember all of Rakam, but remember you remember that video how that first letter uh, was like the evil prince and he's coming against you and his end, the very last letter is like destruction and his path and his plan for you is destruction. But in the middle, that one middle Hebrew word was this other letter or word that uh, is tabernacle or sanctuary or that God steps in with compassion. He sees that, man, your life is heading for destruction and he steps in to bring salvation, to bring a safe place. And so that Rakam, is actually another word for love. It's compassion, love, mercy. Um, so the most generic one, I don't have words for all these, but um, if you want to know, the most generic word uh, for love in Hebrew is ahava. That's kind of like how we use love in the English language, right? Uh, I love pizza. I love my wife. Not the same kind of love, but we just have that generic word love. So ahava is like a very generic term for love. Rakam gets more specific to mercy and compassion, but one that maybe you've heard before is this word, Or if we were to pronounce it, right? I'm not a Hebrew. I can't speak Hebrew really well, but chesed, right? Or you see it spelled with a, like, almost looks like when I typed it in my, uh, word processor, it, it keeps want to do the word cheese, because it's like chesed, right? Chesed, like, that's not a real word. Uh, but that, I think this slides up. Chesed, can, in our English way, we can say it with a CH, a ch or whatever. Um, but it means, uh, it's most translated mercy, compassion, love, grace, faithfulness. I love this last sentence. Chesed describes a sense of love and loyalty that inspires merciful and compassionate behavior towards another person. So we had that rakam. We looked into that this morning. We're going to look at hesed a little bit. We're going to look at some um, verses in the Bible. Obviously, the Old Testament is Hebrew uh, that talk about hesed and where it's translated mercy or loving kindness. Or, um, it's this idea that it's love, but it, it's, it's towards people, and it has this faithfulness, this um, commitment to it. And so you see that Jesus says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Uh, that's not one of my verses, but I've loved you, right, that generic ahava, I've, this generic loved you with this Faithful, compassionate love. And that's what we just saying about this morning. I loved as we sang these words, we talked about his mercy over and over again. His mercies are new every morning. His hesed is new every morning. He is so faithful and compassionate that every new day, no matter what we did wrong the last day, he's like, yep, it's a new day. And my mercies are new this morning. And so I love that he's committed to be compassionate towards us. And so that's kind of this word hesed. And we're going to look at some um, verses. Um, Again, I'm giving the title of this morning's message a little bit later. But I want to look at some verses about what this hesed is. And so the first one is Hosea chapter 4, verse 1. I'm going to read lots of verses. So if you're going to try to open up your Bible, go with me. You're going to have to go really quick. Otherwise, you can just write down the reference or read it up on the the slides. Um, But Hosea 4.1 says this. Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel. For the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. So you see these three things. God is upset. He's using his prophets to talk to his people. And he's saying, I'm looking from heaven above, and I don't see the things that matter to me. Truth, hesed, mercy, or knowledge of me. And you'll know that's a big one for you as your pastor. I always love that word yada, right? That knowledge, that understanding, that knowing God in a personal, relational way. And so he's talking to his people and he's saying, God, I'm looking from heaven and it's lacking. And so he's got prophets saying, be warned, this is what God is looking for. He's looking for truth, mercy, and intimacy with him and he's not finding it. And I'm saying, man, you could look at our world today and you could say God probably saying the same thing as he looks at humanity. He's like, man, truth Where's truth? I mean, it seems like, I'm just being honest with you, I listen to news, I don't even know what to believe or think anymore about the virus or about mask wearing. If We should triple them. We should not wear them. We should, you know, all these different things. I hear right-wing news saying this, left-wing news saying this. What's the actual truth? Fake news, all this stuff. It's like, man, truth is a hard thing to find in our world. And at the same time, our theme for this year is compassion, right? Mercy, being kind. If you go on social media and you say anything about... Liking President Trump, oh man, there are people that are not going to be merciful towards you. If you are a Christian and you have a, 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 I know I'm bringing it in here, right, (laughs) politics, and you are around a people that really love Trump and you say something nice about Biden, oh, you're going to get attacked, right? There's just not a lot of mercy and compassion. You have to be on one side or the other. You can't be nice to everybody. And I just feel like some of that points to the fact that we're not in relationship with God. If you know Jesus, he is the truth, right? He is full of mercy and grace. And so that's the idea is when you know God, you become like him. And so He's saying, man, he's in Hosea, he's saying, man, I'm not seeing it. And he's frustrated with his people. I'm not seeing it. And so our next is now at the end of Hosea. God says this in Hosea chapter 12, verse 6. He says this, so you, by the help of your God, return, repent, observe mercy, hesed, justice, and wait on your God continually. So you see Hosea saying these three things again. Chesed, mercy, compassion, truth, and coming before God with humility and knowing Him and knowing who God is. So you see these three things that God just keeps saying, this is what matters to me. You boil it down. I want you to be people who know the truth, who walk in compassion, and then who know me, right? And so you see this. It's, it's important that we understand. I love that very first thing. It says that, um, uh, what did it say? By the help of your God, Repent. And I love that we're not left to our own abilities. That God is saying he wants to help us repent. He wants to help us to return. So I'm believing, that I said several times, I believe before Jesus' second return that there is going to be a great revival. There is going to be a turning of hearts back to God. And he's saying, I will help you do it. He's not just a God up in heaven with his arms crossed, frustrated and mad. He's saying, no, I want to help you return. These are the things. Let me, let me make it clear to you. This is what I want, and I want to help you do it. So I love that we can look in the Old Testament, and sometimes you get a flavor of God that he seems angry and mad all the time. But you read the New Testament, it seems like Jesus is always full of compassion. Actually, it's the same God, and he's full of hesed. He's full of mercy and compassion. And we're going to read some more verses about this. Um, so Jeremiah, another prophet, Jer- uh, Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 24, he says this, "But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord." exercising loving kindness, said, and justice, like truth, for in these I delight, says the Lord. So God delights. He takes joy and pleasure, as we just said, in giving you mercy and grace. It's not one of these things that when God wakes up in the morning, he's like, oh, dang it. I have to be merciful and kind again. I don't want to be these people that keep disobeying me, and I guess I have to be merciful to them because that's what my Bible says, so I have to do it. No, it says he takes delight in it. He finds joy in bringing you mercy and compassion where you don't deserve it. I wish I could say I'm just like God. That when I see people that drive me nuts and I know I know the truth and I know they're wrong and I'm like, oh, they drive me nuts. I don't take great joy and delight in bringing compassion to them. But God is saying, no, you must. That's our theme verse, right? Luke six thirty six. You must be compassionate just as your Father in heaven is compassionate. He wants us to learn how to get to a place where it's not just, okay, I guess I'll do it. It's that we'll take joy and delight in bringing compassion. God takes delight in truth, right? He loves it when truth wins out. It says that in 1 Corinthians 13, that it rejoices in the truth, right? Love bears all things, all these things about love, who God is. He rejoices in truth. He takes delight when truth wins out. But probably what he takes most joy and delight in is just having relationship with you. It says that in that verse. These three things you keep seeing repeated over and over again, truth, mercy, and just relationship. I think of all the verses where it says that, that God dances over you, that God delights in you, that you are the apple of his eye. This is what God in scripture is saying, that he really finds joy and delight in knowing you in intimacy with you. See, it says in Scripture that God knows you. He he knit you when you were in your mother's womb. God knows you better than you know yourself. He knows your thoughts before you think it. He knows when you're standing, when you're sitting down, when you lay down, right? Scripture lays this out that God knows you and He takes delight in knowing you. But then again, our call is to be like Christ. Do you find joy and delight in knowing God? Do you find delight in reading His Word to get to know Him, right? Not just to have this religion this exercise of religion. But when you come to church, I find great joy and delight in coming to church because I get to know God. I get to worship him and he makes himself known to me in praise and worship. That when the word goes forth, his truth is going forth and I I see him a little more clearly. And then when I see, look out here, I see people that look like God. I see his fingerprints in your guys' life and I'm like, oh, there's Jesus right there. I can look at Greg and I'm like, oh, there's Jesus right there. Not a perfect representation, right? None of us are perfect. But I can see aspects of who Jesus is when I see Greg. When I see many of you, I'm like, ah, oh, there's Jesus. And so I love that. I love that we can know him in all these things. So you see that the prophets, they keep saying this. Probably the most famous one I'm going to read, that were, these are words, all. The, if you didn't catch it, all these ones have hesed in here, loving kindness, mercy. Maybe the one that emphasizes my point the most is one that we've heard from Micah 6.8. Does anyone know this from Micah 6.8? He has shown you, O man, what is good, And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, chesed, and to walk humbly with your God? So again, you see these three points, justice or truth, to love mercy. Again, you have that ahava, that general term of love, to have affection or to like or to pursue chesed, right? Mercy, loving kindness, right? And then to walk humbly with your God, in relationship with your God. So Micah 6, 8, I love this verse because so often the Lord reminds me of this verse, when I'm saying, okay, God, I need an answer. I'm going through a situation, and I don't know what to do. God, would you tell me what to do? And he says, do you remember Micah 6:8? I've told you what to do, oh, man. I've told you. I've made it clear in Scripture what I want you to do. I want you to act with fairness. I want you to do justice. I want you to have mercy and compassion. In the decision you're making where you're not getting along with somebody, if it doesn't smell and look like compassion from their side, not from your side, but from their side, if they don't view it as compassion, then you're not walking in my path. You're not walking in what I have planned for you. If you're not walking in the humility towards me, if you are not picturing me standing right next to you, nodding my head in agreement with what you're doing, then you're not walking. So what does what God want you to do? It's making it clear, right? He doesn't give us all the specifics of what school to go to or all the different details, right? If I should quit this job and start a new job. Sometimes I don't know what all those details are, but he's made it clear, oh man, what to do. Does it line up with fairness, with justice, with the truth? Does it line up with mercy towards other people? And would God standing right there, nod in approval, say, yes, you're walking in humility. This looks like I'm in relationship with you, right? I am pleased with that. So I I love that. When we don't know what to do, it's these three things. One last verse that I want to highlight, and then I'll give you the title of this morning's message. Zechariah 7.9 says this. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. Judge truthfully and show mercy and compassion to one another. So if you didn't get it, this is just a small portion of this word hesed. It's used over about 250 times in the Old Testament, hesed. But here's just a portion of scripture talking about that. And it seems like God is saying to humanity, this is what matters to me most. Truth, hesed, compassion, and being in relationship with me. So the title of this morning's message, you're finally ready for it, is Truth or Compassion. Not truth or dare. Truth or compassion. And if I were to ask you the question, what does God care about the most? Truth or compassion, what would your pastor's answer be? Yes. yes. Right? He cares about both. And so truth or compassion, I want us to look into that this morning. And so obviously I'm going to maybe lean a little more heavy on the chesed. But I want us to see that truth and compassion, they go together. You can't be lopsided. You can't have one without the the other. Um, I think it might be next to my notes. I don't remember if it is or not. Um, I might be jumping out of order. Um, But Martin Luther is famous for saying this phrase. And I don't know, I didn't find it exactly on on Google, but I remember reading in my studies that Martin Luther said this. So I don't know if this is the exact phrase or not. Um, But he said this. He says, the devil doesn't care which side of the horse you fall off of as long as you don't stay in the saddle. He doesn't care if your personality bent is to be more of a justice seeker and speak the truth and make sure that everybody knows the truth and that you are full of truth and that's all you care about. The devil's like, yes, then just care about truth and just go all full bore on one side of truth and leave out mercy. Perfect, because you're not sitting in the saddle. You've fallen off. Or if you are just so tender-hearted and compassionate that you never speak the truth, you never stand up for justice because you care about people, you care about what people think about you, and you're a man-pleaser, oh, Satan's like, perfect. Let's just keep making you go down a road of just wanting everybody to like you and never stand up for the truth. He doesn't care which side of the saddle you fall off of. So again, truth or compassion, here's some more verses for this. Proverbs 2028 20, says this mercy and truth preserve the king and his throne is upheld by mercy see it's both I love that this proverb is probably King Solomon talking about he's talking about kings human beings or People that rule their households, maybe the the father of a house or whoever it is, you over your own life, you're ruling your own life as a king, you decide what you are going to do with your money, with your time, right? You're the king of your life and it's saying that it's preserved, your life is preserved when it's established, right? When it has mercy and truth. I I think about people that are way more mercy oriented and then they're kind of living in worry and anxiety of what other people think of them all the time. Their life is not preserved. Life is not healthy. Life is not going well with them when they're always constantly thinking about, what do they think? What do they think? What do they think? Right? It's not well. But if you have a balance between mercy and truth, life is good. You're preserved by that. Other people, man, they are not kind to anybody. they just like, man, this is the truth. And they just like, you're an idiot and you're an idiot. Well, now nobody likes you, right? Nobody wants to be around you. Well, it's because everyone else is idiots, right? Life's not going to go well with you. You've got to have both mercy and truth. I think we'll come back to this verse. So just highlight Proverbs 20:28. 20, it's talking about something. We'll come back to it. Isaiah 10 No, Isaiah 16:5 says this. In mercy the throne will be established and one will sit on it in truth. Well, this is the one I definitely want to go back to. In fact, we'll come back to. That. I won't even highlight that right now. We'll go to this next one. John 1:14. 1, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So this is New Testament. So that word grace is no longer hesed, because the New Testament, what's it written in? In Hebrew or Greek? Greek. All right, Greek. But I love, as we just read from Isaiah, it says that his throne will be established in mercy. Does anyone remember some Sunday school trivia here? The Ark of the Covenant... You had the cherubim, the the angels, and their wings came and met at the center of the top of the Ark of the Covenant. Do you know what that was called in the center? What was that called? The mercy seat. That Jesus' throne will be established on mercy. That's what it said in Isaiah. And there will be one who sits on it. So I love when Jesus comes onto the scene, the very beginning of John's gospel, he says, And Jesus was full of grace and truth. To me, if it was translated Hebrew, it would be hesed and truth. Which one, truth or compassion? Yes. Jesus was full of both. Full of both. He was the perfect representation of what a life looks like when you are so full of compassion and so full of truth, lacking in neither one. There was times where Jesus' truth seemed pretty harsh. I mean, read the gospel. Sometimes I read red letters, and man, Jesus is like, wow. I, I would never say it that way, Jesus. Right, he would talk to Pharisees and he's just blasting them with the truth. But there's other times where we've read already that when he sees multitudes and he's already weary, he heard about his cousin just was beheaded and he just, he wants to get alone, he's trying to get alone and then these crowds are bothering him and it says he was moved with compassion. Where the rest of us would have been like, man, I deserve me time. But he was moved with compassion. He was so full of both, and he knew how and when to operate in both. He didn't let go of I guess that's what I love about it is sometimes it seems like he was lopsided with full of mercy. But the reality is he never stopped being the truth, right? He is the way, the truth, the life. He never stopped being the truth. But in moments, it looked like he was overwhelmed with compassion. Looking at Jerusalem, i just think this right now. There was times when he looked at Jerusalem from, from the Mount of Olives. That's where he used to pray a lot. You see it constantly in the Gospels. Jesus would be praying, and he'd look at Jerusalem. Sometimes he was like a prophet, and he's like, man, he's just blasting Jerusalem. He goes into Jerusalem, and he overturns the tables because he's so full of truth. And there's other times he's on that same hillside, and he's saying, oh, he's just weeping. I wish I could gather you like chicks under, uh, under my wings. So he was so full of both. And I think the word of the Lord to us this morning is, some of us, we think we might be balanced, but we're not. We think we've, we've got a healthy balance of mercy and truth. We know how to be compassionate. But I feel like the Lord this year, this word compassion, he's saying he wants to get our alignment right. Some of us, we're riding on a horse on a saddle sideways. And we think we're good. Like, we think we're totally good. But the devil, he doesn't care. He doesn't care which side you're going off of as long as your feet aren't firmly planted in both. Yeah, you're going that direction. Let's just keep going that direction. I know I've said this, I think, at least twice in two different Sundays. I'll say it again because I think it's just worth repeating, right? Right? say this often, you should never have to repeat yourself. I'll say it again, you should never have to repeat yourself. Um, That repetition is just that, that, what is that, mother of pedagogy? That's a big word, but mother of learning. Repeating yourself is what helps you learn something. But sometimes, some of us, we know the truth, and I'm convinced of it. I know the truth. But to go speak that truth and prove that truth to somebody else, it would cost me too much. Because if I'm just full of truth and just a little bit of compassion, it's actually not going to make life go well with me. It's not going to make life go well with that other person as well. There have got to be times where, because I'm so full of truth and I know the truth, but because I'm so balanced and I have so much compassion, that compassion is going to triumph over the truth. OK, I can say it better. Triumph over having the truth win out and proving that I'm right. Jesus, again, like I said, he never let go of truth. But I think as I read some more verses, it'll help unpack my thought, what I just said. All right, so I'll say it in, my, in the way I would say it. Many of us have room to grow in our compassion. That's a pretty mild way of saying it. Yeah. I'll say it a little bit less mild. I'll say, you need to work on compassion. It's lacking in your life. So that's, that's your pastor telling you, you've got some room to grow in your life. You need to be compassionate just as your father's compassion. That's our theme verse for the year, right? So that's me being kind of nice. Let me read to you some more red letters that sometimes aren't so nice. Matthew 23, 23 says this. Great sorrow awaits you religious scholars, for you are obsessed with peripheral issues. These matters are fine, yet you ignore the most important duty of all, to walk in the love of God, to display mercy to others, and to live with integrity. Readjust your values and place first things first. If you didn't catch it, Jesus is not talking just to the Pharisees 2,000 years ago. He's talking to us in the church that know Scripture. We're religiously learned. And he's saying this morning, some of you are so caught up with peripheral issues. Do they matter? Yeah. He's specifically talking about tithe and offering. Yes, of course, you should tithe everything. Great. Keep tithing. Don't stop doing that. But you're missing the weight of your matters, the things that actually I really care about that. I kept saying over and over again in the Old Testament through all, all my prophets, and now Jesus is on the scene saying, "I'm telling you again, the law matters. Yes, tithing matters. Yes, voting for people that care about abortion and life, the right, the right these things, these all matter. There's all kinds of things that matter, but you're missing the weight of your matters. You're getting caught up in all these peripheral matters. And again, hopefully, you're hear my heart. I'm not saying that abortion is a peripheral matter. I'm just saying. The enemy wants us to fall off our saddle. And Jesus is trying to get us to be like him, for our feet to be firmly in both stirrups. Is that they're called stirrups on our horse saddle? Yeah. Right, your stirrups, that you have your feet in both stirrups, evenly balanced. And he's saying this morning, as he observes the church, and I'm going to say all of our neighborhood church, he's saying, your compassion is lacking. And he's pretty harsh. Uh, in, In the message, it says it this way. You're hopeless, you religion scholars and Pharisees. Frauds. You keep meticulous accounts, account books, tithing on every nickel and dime you get. But on the meat of God's law, things like fairness and compassion and commitment, the absolute basics, you carelessly take it or leave it. So this, I'm trying to make this like, a, you know me, my bent is probably to be a little more compassionate. But Jesus, he's just bringing it this morning. He's saying, you have a lot of room to grow in compassion, and are you even putting forth effort? You've heard it said already multiple times this year. We're the, getting close to the end of February. And you've heard this theme of compassion. And he's saying, I'm not going to let the pastor just move on to the next thing for this year and say, oh, well, we talked about compassion at the beginning of the year. No, there's things you've actually got to change mindsets, attitudes, words that come out of your mouth, time spent on things. So here's the verse that I might have said a little bit wrong, but here's actually the truth of God's word. In James 2.13, it says this. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. How many of you have heard that phrase before? Mercy triumphs over judgment. All right, there's a song that I've heard sung the last couple of years where it sings that, Mercy Triumphs Over Judgment. It's not saying that truth doesn't matter, that all we do is just we throw truth out the window and we just become compassionate and merciful people. That is not God's word. That would be heresy. But what God is saying, even through James, he's saying, His mercy triumphs over judgment. So let's get personal and real. In your own life, we just sang several times this morning, His mercies are new every morning. Meaning, His mercy triumphs over His justice and judgment over your life every morning. You and I, the wages of sin is death. We deserve punishment. And it seems like every single morning, His mercies triumph over judgment. That's who God is. So every single morning is our compassion and mercy for other people triumphing over judgment. And I get it. All of scripture context, judgment sounds in the hearts of God, right? Justice, that was part of we read all these Old Testament phrases. There needs to be justice. There needs to be judging. There needs to be all these things. But I think about this. I think about, as I read it, we'll have to go back and find that slide, but Isaiah, and there was other things we read that, His throne is established in mercy. He sits on a mercy seat. As I was reading these verses, I was thinking about how even when I went to Israel, I studied in Israel for, I don't know, four or five months, and I got to visit um, like 2,000-year-old synagogues that were in the area. And Scholars don't know for a fact like Jesus sat in this exact synagogue, but more than likely he did. And so it was really cool to go to these ruins, and in one of these synagogues, there was this cool, I don't know what you call it, almost like a pulpit, but it was like this big basin. And uh, one of the teachers was saying, you know, some people believe that wasn't just for washing hands, but that actually in the synagogues, that's where the rabbi would sit. And that they didn't want to call it sacrilegious, like it was the mercy seat, like you know, in the tabernacle, in the in the temple where the you know, the ark of God was in the Holy of Holies. But they made it somewhat a representation that's where the rabbi would sit before he got the scroll and before he would read the word of the Lord. And maybe, just maybe, as I was in that synagogue, they're saying, just think about maybe, the possibility is there that this could have been the synagogue that Jesus came and sat on the mercy seat and he was handed the scrolls of Isaiah. And he read, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me and has anointed me. And it was ushering in his throne his kingdom, his rule, that Jesus, as his first coming, was sitting on that mercy seat, bringing the word of the Lord. And then I was thinking as I was reading these verses, preparing for this message, what if that is what Jesus is waiting to return for? My second coming, I'm waiting for the church at large to be a mercy seat, that I can find a place to come and sit and bring justice And bring judgment. It says that when Jesus returns, he is going to be the judge. But he's saying almost in a sense that church, it's not your job to judge the world. That's my job. Your job is to bring a throne and a mercy seat for me to come and sit on. And as I sit on that mercy seat, then I can bring the balance of judgment to this earth. And as I thought about that, man, I too many things and too many notes and too many verses and too much to try to cram into this message. But I was thinking, I think it's in Matthew 13. I don't have a slide for it. Jesus tells another parable, the parable of the, the wheat and the tares. I won't, I won't read it in just real quick recap. There was a, a master who owned a farm and had a field, and he had servants go out and plant wheat. And it was good, you know, good seeds. And they went out there, prepped it. They had pulled all the weeds beforehand and they, they planted wheat. Uh, no, they planted wheat. And um, at, at springtime, they noticed, oh, no, there's wheat and there's just as much weeds in the field. And they came to the master and said, what happened? He's like, oh, well, I have an enemy. And at night, when we weren't paying attention, the enemy came and he threw a whole bunch of seeds of weeds into my field. And so the servant said, well, master, Do you want us to go, they're starting to spring up, do you want us to go and pull all the weeds? And the master said, no, don't pull all the weeds, because if you pull the weeds, you might damage the wheat, the good harvest. And as I was thinking about that parable, I was thinking about some of us, we think it's our job to judge. We think it's our job to go tell people, well, you're not going to heaven, and you're not going to heaven, and you're an idiot, and you're this, and The master is saying, That's not your job. I'll sort it out at the end. At the end, at harvest time, we'll collect everything the wheat and the tares. And I will separate them. And I will send one for burning, and I'll harvest the other one to be with me. What was the, the servants thought it was their job to go pull the weeds? And I was thinking about that. The master was like, in a sense, this is, again, my interpretation. I feel like the master, or Jesus in his parable, is saying, the master didn't trust the servants. I don't trust you. You're going to go out there, and you're going to think that's a weed, and actually, it's wheat. And you're going to pluck it too soon. I don't trust your judgment. I'll do the judging. I've heard this in the church growing up, that when we get to heaven there might be people that we're surprised to see there. <laughs> and at the same time, there might be people that we are expecting to be there that won't be there. Because Jesus is the judge. I'll say, just bringing I've already brought in politics. There might be politicians that you think there is no way they're going to heaven. And I feel like Jesus is saying this morning, would you learn how to just create a mercy seat for me to come and I will judge? Don't worry about judging everybody. If we want to get a hold of this compassion, it really is just creating and fostering that the church becomes a mercy seat. I get it. I am not saying that we just throw truth out the window. Jesus was full of grace and truth. We've got to be full of both. But I really feel like I just, I visually see it. I feel like the church is riding a horse and we're just so lopsided. And God, out of his compassion, is saying, I'm trying to correct your wrongs. This year of compassion, I'm trying to get you back in the saddle. Hmm. This is good. I know i got more time, but I feel like I'm supposed to maybe just take a break. Almost, I put in my notes. I had no notes underneath it, just the word activation. I feel like we need to do something right now. I'm I'm talking about all this. And I remember at the beginning of the year, we had, um, some of you got them, the little devotionals we had, that 21 days of fasting, where it was verses, and the idea was to pray that we'd have a heart of compassion, a mind of compassion, and we'd get created to have acts of compassion. But I know for me, I am so guilty of listening to a sermon and I'm like, oh, that's really good. And then as soon as the sermon's over with, I go back to my normal life and nothing actually changed. I mean, I agreed with it. It was really good. I thought, man, that is God speaking, but nothing changed in me. And so I just felt like maybe there needs to be something where it just is an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to activate something in us. Like I said, I have no notes. I don't even know what that looks like. But would you just take a moment, even those of you that are online, I don't know, just take a moment and let's just ask the Lord to do that in our hearts. Now, um. yeah, so just close your eyes for a second. Lord, I, I believe you're speaking to us this morning. And we want to be good soil where the seeds that you're planting produce a harvest. God, I, I'm saying this, and I'm saying it's a general prayer for all of us. I, I'm speaking on behalf of Ozmember Church this morning, Jesus. We want to be attractive to the world. And there are people who don't like the church. And I know in Scripture it says that it's your kindness that leads me towards your repentance, Lord God, to repent. May I look like you. May I smell like you. May I be the fragrance of Christ of extending compassion to people who don't deserve it. And God, I know that in order for that to happen, something's got to change inside of me. I can have desires, and and I pray that you fan those desires right now, but Holy Spirit, would you do something? Do surgery. Convict me. I I want holy conviction. Jesus, your word says that the the Holy Spirit came to convict the world of sin. Convict me. I live in this world. I need conviction. Not condemnation. I don't want to wallow in shame and guilt. But I want to have a conviction so that my life changes. I want to repent as the Old Testament prophets we just read over and over again. And you promised you would help me in returning back to you. So help me right now. I'm letting you know, God, I wanna guard my mouth where I've talked about my governor, my mayor, my president. And I'm not just stuck on politics, people in my own church, people in my family. I am guilty, God. There is is guilt on my hands of not being compassionate. And I can be full of truth, and I know that I'm right. But it wasn't balanced with compassion. So would you get me back in the saddle, Jesus? Would you help me rule my own life well? As Proverbs said that a, a throne is established... It's preserved. (sighs) Too many times I've heard people shy away from the truth that you have called your people to rule and reign. And we shy away from that. But God, may it be true. As you told Adam and Eve to have dominion, as you told your disciples to rule and reign, God, may we rule and reign in this earth, not with arrogance, not with pride, not with a, a heart of judging other people. But may we usher in your mercy seat. May we learn to have dominion over our own thoughts, over our attitudes. Hmm. You know, James 2.13, you can open your eyes if you want. James 2.13, we read that mercy triumphs over judgment. But I love what it says in the Passion Translation. It says this, Remember that judgment is merciless for those for the one who judges others without mercy. Remember that judgment is merciless to the one who, who judges others without mercy, without hesed. I love this last phrase. I know I didn't read the last section yet. We see it all throughout the Gospels. Jesus keeps saying, man, if you don't forgive, I'm not going to forgive you. It's this idea. If you're not going to have compassion and mercy, and I keep yelling at you, what do I require of you? To be compassionate. And you're not going to extend compassion. Well, my judgment's going to be without compassion. Right now, his mercies are new every morning. There's coming a day where he's going to sit on the judgment seat of Christ. And he's saying, if you're not going to be full of compassion, well, my judgment's not going to be very merciful either. But I love what that last line in the Passion Translation mercy triumphs over judgment. Showing mercy, you take dominion over judgment. I feel like that is so loaded in so many ways. There are people who are not saved. that they have heard the truth from the church. I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. I'm going to hell. They've heard that truth. But when they see our mercy have dominion over judging them, oh, that's what wins them. When mercy takes dominion, it means we take dominion. We have been given authority, but are we going to actually use it? Are we going to use the mercy that we've been given, where mercy has triumphed over judgment in my life? Am I going to do that over somebody else? Where I see they are so deserving of judgment in every way. And I know that's the truth, but I say, no, I'm going to have mercy take dominion over that judgment. It's going to rule and reign over it. Man, it's so loaded. So I'm just recapping. Jesus is saying he wants us to get back to the basics. Compassion might seem like a new word for this year. Man, reading the Old Testament, <laughs> it's been the foundation all along. This Hessed, this love, this faithfulness. I, know, I don't know why I'm talking about I, This was not in my mind to talk about politics this morning, but I keep going there. Because I love that on this wet, last Wednesday, Nick even said, I love California. It was hard for some of us to say, oh, man, I hate the politics of California right now. But it's good to say that. I love the United States of America. It needs to come out of our mouths. I love that I have a government that was founded on godly principles. Can we begin to see the things that are good instead of, it's obvious there's things that are wrong and bad. It's easy to find things to judge. But I'm going to find things that I can just pour out mercy on. I'm going to change my attention. I'm going to change my focus and say, no, this is good. This is good. And I just, I guess for me, I want to, this is another phrase, I want to be pregnant with compassion that I'm just looking for a place to give birth to compassion I'm looking for opportunities all day long where's somebody that's doing injustice they're ripe for some compassion tying in this last thought I remember I heard this probably 15 years ago in this church I don't remember who brought it it was such a good word and it wasn't the first time it was ever said it's probably an old phrase But have you heard that we are sheep, right? We're the sheep of his pasture. And and sheep are pretty mild animals, right? They just, they eat grass. They're not carnivorous. Well, there's this phrase that wounded sheep bite. It's not in the nature of a sheep to bite. But when they're wounded, when, they're, when they fell off a hillside and their hip is out of place, it's out of socket, there's a lot of pain there, and you go to pet the sheep, ah, they're going to bite you. Why, why would this mild sheep bite you? Because you just touched a place of pain. And ah, they're saying, don't touch that place of pain. I think there's a lot of people that bring us pain in our lives. They're biting us. They're doing things. And God is saying, but if you will just learn to see people through my eyes, they're just wounded and they're wounding you and you're seeing the truth they are wrong for wounding me yeah that's the truth but can you look past that and say yeah but they're hurt as well and they need compassion and if your mercy would triumph over that truth that is blinding the compassion if your just mercy would take dominion over it uh you would bring healing and restoration I feel like this word compassion is so deeply connected to revival God is wanting to bring revival He's wanting to bring a great harvest before he returns, and it's so connected to compassion. And so I just, I don't want to leave this service on like just a heavy note. But an encouraging note, that as we get this, oh man, our lives personally are going to change. This church is going to change and be transformed. Okay, one last thought. Actually, I'll have you stand, because then I'll feel guilty if I make you stand too long. I think I quoted on a Wednesday and I didn't even look it up again. It's in Isaiah somewhere between Isaiah 40 and 60. Someone probably knows exactly where it is. But God is telling his people specifically the barren ones, the ones that aren't pregnant with compassion. He says, "Rejoice, O barren ones. Rejoice, those who can't get pregnant. Who you see everyone else around you, life is prospering and your life stinks." He's saying, begin to rejoice because you're going to have more kids than the one that's married already has kids. I feel like God is saying this morning, for some of you, that life is not full of joy and gladness. He's saying, oh my goodness, if you would get pregnant with compassion, your life is going to be so good. It's going to be so enjoyable. The healing of relationships, the healing of the way you view where you live, oh my goodness, you're going to love life. So would you join me in just praying that the Lord would make us pregnant, that we begin to rejoice. So God, I thank you that you can perform a miracle. And so almost like Mary in the Christmas story, Jesus, be born in me, impregnate me with your compassion that goes beyond any striving I could do in my own strength. I want supernatural God compassion to be born in me. And I choose to rejoice and be glad knowing that I'm gonna be compassionate, God. That before you return, I'm gonna be one of the most compassionate people on the face of the earth. I may not look like it. I may not think like it right now. But I declare it with my mouth. I am compassionate. That Can you say that? I am compassionate. I will be compassionate. I will establish your throne in mercy. Oh, God, we love you. We thank you. that As we just sang this morning, your goodness is coming after us. Your mercies are new every morning. We taste it today, God. Thank you for your word that convicts us and encourages us all at the same time. Your word is living, and we choose to be doers of your word. And all God's people said, amen, amen. The worship team, I think is coming up. Sorry, I didn't give much notice, but uh, they can come on up. And I don't know, I probably quoted a whole bunch of different worship songs. A reprise. Daniel, I know, not your favorite, but you can pick one. Go for it. And if you need prayer, <laughs> sorry. If you need prayer for anything, Would you just find a leader or find somebody next to you if you just need some prayer for anything? So go for it. Do that as we sing this last song.